It is Soundcheck Flicks today on the podcast, the 1985 film Brazil by Terry Gilliam. I've got Graham here. I've got John Roy here, Howdy. legend in the local music scene. Uh, we've been friends and part of the ska music scene for many, many years. Uh, what was your first ska band? My first ska band? Uh, partially ska, Citizen X. Citizen X? Yeah. I remember that band. Who fronted that band? Mm, there was a gentleman named Kenny for a while. Oh, there were a few other people. Okay. Uh, Steve Cater was in it. Steve Cater. Early on. Legendary yeah. of Gangbusters. Yeah, before we did Gangbusters. Yeah. Just put out, you guys just put out your album, actually, of yes. tracks that were recorded all those years ago. The white vinyl, and there's probably 20 left. I did the liner notes. Yes, you did, and they were beautiful. Thank you very much. Uh, also, how long have you had your sound company here in San Diego? Uh, since technically, I, I started doing sound January 24th of 2002. When I realized that um, if I didn't do something other than playing music, I would not be feeding myself. And that's kind of how you fund your, your current music career, uh, because it sounds like it's... No, I'm a multimillionaire. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, it's fascinating, billionaire, but billionaire, you, are, you are passionate about, about music and creating music. A smoke and mirror sound system is kind of the current thing, as well as unsteady playing shows occasionally, right? Very little. Uh, basically, if you if you pay a certain amount, you get this band. You pay another amount, you get the other band. What name would you like to hear? <laughs> How many people would you like? Seven people, it's Unsteady. Eleven people, it's Smoke and Mirrors. So you just had a, a big show at uh, Corazon Del Barrio with uh, Roddy Radiation and the Scabelli Rebels. Indeed, as of now, we haven't, but we will have had. And hopefully it was the best show ever. Yeah, yeah. well, we're, we're assuming it's happened at this it's point. It's fantastic. But, but the show coming up, you have a big show coming up at the uh, Music Box with... Uh, Western Standard Time. And is that Smoke and Mirrors opening up? That's that going to be Smoke and Mirrors. And by by the time you see this, hopefully it will have been a success. Our, um, the biggest concept now... You just pretend it is. It, it, it's, it was <laughs> the is best like damn the mind. show ever. <laughs> it was the best damn show. Yeah, um, It's like Brazil. Yeah. yeah a, a full set, or at least two-thirds of a set where the band is playing in sync with all the videos that I've been working on for the last three years. So, fingers crossed, yes. And uh, lots of releases under the Smoke and Mirror Sound System family, um, and, and many, many people all over the world are on these records, right? Yeah, uh, everybody that I, that I toured with over the last 25, 30 years, and more people that I've met through those people, and just... Random people, not random, but uh, referral of a referral of a referral. Anybody that had a, a computer, an instrument, and a way to make noise. Kind of comes out of COVID, really, is how this began for you, right? Yeah, I called it Smoke and Mirrors because there it is Smoke and Mirrors. There was no band. There was only me um, sitting in my closed office for <laughs> almost a year. You have a holiday album that just came out, right? Yes, Black Market Dub Christmas uh, featuring Dub Robot on the lead tenor saxophone. Um, you're also on the new Satanic Puppeteer Orchestra uh, album that came out that is actually kind of a rock steady album featuring real vocalists yeah. and then featuring the robot doing the songs as well, right? Absolutely. Um, That's on a weird double-etched vinyl that where you drop the needle depends on what you get. The robot or the human, right? Yes, yeah, so we have some multiple um, different releases, like on Escape Hatch, and then Satanic Puppeteer has that have that double groove kind of thing going on. One of them is called 
remember this one called instrumental where on one groove if you put the needle down a certain way it it plays an instrumental on the second one if you hit the hit the groove the right way then it says this is not this is only an instrumental with a robot voice <laughs> yeah <It's- laughs> and 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 last thing before we move on to the mind fuck that is brazil how long were you a member of the english beat oh six years wow. um yeah as bang or for dave wakeling of the english beat or as general public it's kind of one of those things where whatever you pay is the right amount of money and it becomes whatever that <laughs> That's is what you get yeah okay played with mr wakeling for six yeah where he lives up in dana point still or i don't know he lives uh, somewhere. i think he's pacific palisades okay. or something like that yeah yeah they're celebrating the big anniversary as well i think uh, 40 years yeah bunch yeah. of bunch of stuff happening around that well this film I did see in theaters, and uh, it's part of uh, kind of a trilogy, right? You could say with Terry Gilliam, with uh, yep. Time Bandits, and uh, Baron Munchausen. Um, it is an odd film that even upon rewatching it, I was—I uh, think I understood it better than maybe in 1985. <laughs> but it still left a lot uh, to my own imagination. Had to do some research today, just to kind of figure out: Am I interpreting this the way I think I'm seeing it on screen? But uh, what was uh, your first time seeing the film? My first time was seeing it was in 1985. My dad took me. Uh, I was 14. And we didn't walk out, but he was angry when we left the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> and I was I was pleased because I I was already, you know, I'd been watching um, Terry Gilliam and Monty Python in the late 70s, early 80s, when it was on KPBS late at night when yep. I was supposed to be asleep. Sure. So... That was right up my alley, and Monty Python and the Holy Holy Grail. I was already a, a fan straight up. Time Bandits, obviously. So when Brazil came out, what? It's perfect. It, it just does what it needs to do, and it's Terry Gilliam letting his perspective in, poisoning all of our minds. Yay! Very Orwellian. <laughs> yes. Uh, on, on paper, it was called 1984 and a half. Yes. Actually. The Ministry of Information. Which uh, allude to Fellini's. Film right eight and a half eight and a half but uh, yeah 1984 <laughs> and a half but yeah it has it's a a dystopian weird ass film that seems like society could go to some days it's very influential on the steampunk scene still to this day and or are we in it now are we in it now yeah <laughs> well, um, some ways we are yeah yeah I mean the internet's right there you know it's those little tubes that blast mm-hmm. around anytime they got a message they just shoot it through that thing and I'm like well that's the internet like, it's a series of tubes yeah. I love those tubes, the pneumatic tubes. I, I always wanted so them. Excited at the bank. I wanted them in my house. Yeah, yeah. Right. Between that and a train set. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe we're gonna get one of those tubes that humans can get in someday, right? That would isn't, be super isn't fun. Isn't Musk building that? Right. It, it might kill maybe half of us, but it'll be fun for the rest. Fun for the rest. Yeah. Well, Brazil, uh, a film that the the title itself doesn't really have anything to do with the movie, other than. The song. The song. The song. The song. Uh, the song which... Aqualero do Brasil. Uh, Jeff Moldar is the guy that does the version on mm. there. There is a Kate Bush version. You can find that, you said? It is on YouTube. You can go okay. listen to it, and it's fantastic. I don't know. I mean, he does. I like, I. you know, we talked about this right before we went on the podcast with John Roy. And John Roy said, you know, the Jeff Moldar one is a little more, uh, you know, it's real. It's whimsical. It's more of the real deal. Sure. And, and Kate Bush's is just beautiful. It's just because she's fantastic. And yeah. So it's, it would have I get the why film. they chose what they, yeah, I get why they chose the one they did, but it would have been great to have her too. And it, it seemed as though, because 
I had to watch it again, obviously. Um, but there were at least four versions, like orchestral, um, big band, small band, combo. So I actually had all of that back in the days uh, pre-Spotify. Um, I think I went on Napster or I went on one of the other streaming. And I, I got every single version of it and burned it on a CD. There were things called CDs, kids. But um, <laughs> I would just play that over and over again because that's where I'm at. <laughs> just every version of it. I might have to do a version of it. So at 14, how did you interpret that movie? Well, <laughs> I have a quick question. Yeah. Though. Which version did you see? Did you see the uh, Terry Gilliam two-hour, 20-minute version, the much sadder ending, or did you see the Love Conquers All much shorter version? I didn't see the Love Conquers. I saw the 220. You saw oh, the, oh, wait. Okay. In the theaters, I saw the 220. Okay. I think that's probably why my dad was so angry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Because if you anyone who doesn't know this film, there is a, a much longer cut that was Terry Gilliam's cut, which is two hours, 20, and it has more of a downer ending Whereas the studio was upset, Universal, they wanted a shorter cut, and it's called the Love Conquers All version. And it's a uh, little over an hour and a half, but it's, yeah. but it's much more happy at the ending. And so right, right. both of these versions were out, but there was a lot of fuss and fight between Terry Gilliam and the studios on this whole thing. Well, so. he took out an ad in Variety when they wouldn't put it out in the States, yep. calling out the studio. And then in turn, the studio took out an ad and offered the movie for sale. He also but, called him out on Good Morning America. Right. He held up a picture of the guy that was running the studio. Like he went hardcore. Tell you, Gerald was for real. But the, he, I guess he was taking it around to schools and film schools and showing it, and yep. it ends up winning awards. Well, so what happened was they the they release. were shelving at Universal. We've talked about Universal in the early '80s before with Repo Man and with Fast Times. Yeah. They had their head up their ass. Yeah. And so they got Brazil, and once again, they got something wildly creative. They didn't know what to do with it, and they were just letting it sit on the shelf. And so Gilliam's like, I want to show this to some film schools, and they come to an agreement that he can show some scenes. Well, Terry's like double middle fingers. He shows the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And he does it in L.A. Now, the funny part about that is there were a bunch of L.A. film critics who were in the audience that night who saw it, and then they... Thusly, a week or two later, it's at the end of the year, they declare it the film of the year. And so at that point, Universal you has have to, to do put it. it out now. Yeah. And not only do they have to put it out, but they have to put it out Terry Gilliam's version, which they were hesitant to do. So it's funny that they got to this between the director and the studio, but he won. I mean, you know, he won the battle. He yeah. got the version out that he wanted. I mean. You know, De Niro uh, auditioned for the Sam Lowry uh, role, but actually didn't get it. He wanted to be in the film so bad, so yeah. he took on the role of Tuttle. Yeah, him as Harry Tuttle was is still one of my favorite things. Even people that haven't seen the movie, I'm like, you have to see the movie if only to see De Niro as like the head of the terrorist. Yeah, you know, Archibald. Tuttle. Yeah, Tuttle. yeah. Harry to you. <laughs> That's what's funny about De Niro at that time because he's. He's becoming this legendary guy that we know because he's doing Raging Bull and he's doing Al Capone and Untouchables and Goodfellas. And he's got mm -hmm. all these great roles. But every now and then he ducks out and he does something Pulls like this. Or he'll pop up in a romantic movie, Falling in Love with Meryl Streep or, he'll, or We're No Angels with Sean Penn. He'll do these side ones where he kind of gets to show like the love guy or the uh, com comedic guy. But then he always comes back to do some hard-ass, you know, heat character, yeah. something badass or Cape Fear, like, and he's that's how great he is in this moment that we find him in Brazil. Is he's just like I could do anything I want right now, like I'm the best actor out right now. 
I like that. It's his moment. Yeah, yeah he's having his moment right there. Might then. as well be in some weird-ass movie. But he showed his respect in that way, too, to Gilliam that, like, not saying, I have to be Harry, you know, I will, okay, I'll be Harry Tuttle. Yeah. Fine. All right, you're a badass. I will do what you want me to do. I'll, I'll, I'll live in this role. I want to be Sam Lowry. Imagine him being Sam Lowry, though. That's, that's pretty interesting. It would have been pretty good because Jonathan universe. Price at that moment is nobody. Yeah. Right. I mean, he, you know, it's years before he plays the High Sparrow on Game of Thrones. Like, he hasn't, a lot of people don't know who he is. And I remembered him from Something Wicked This Way Comes. Yes. Which was at my favorite Disney movie mm-hmm. that I saw in the theaters as a kid. Yeah. I'm like, this is the heaviest Jason Disney Robards. movie. Yeah. Whoa. I loved it. Wow. Yep. And Pam Greer. Yep. Ooh, Pam Greer. Pam Greer. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> Yeah, De Niro was really having his moment then. Um, Jonathan Price was kind of new then. They had Catherine Hellman in there as kind of like the third build, and she's like his mom. Yeah. And yeah. it's what's great about that is she's not really a movie actress. She does movies here and there, but in that moment, she's known for being Jessica Tate on mm-hmm. Soap. Soap. On Soap, yep. yeah. And she's on Who's the Boss is Mona. Yes. So she's this really, and she's nominated for Emmys for both of those shows. Yeah. I mean, she's a really established television actress, but here she pops up in this, and she's just great. She's got the great visual. That oh, one yeah. visual with her face, face getting being stretched out. out. Yeah. yeah, that's her. She's terrific. All of those things within the movie got to me in that, like, the plastic surgery, what we now have, like, what we're now calling social media. There's so many things that are reflective of society today that it was proto versions of it. I actually like the idea that you'd have a, a crappy little cathode ray tube, but you have to have a... A magnifying glass, basically, for every single piece for the screen. Yeah. <laughs> or that being more of a, um, a metaphor, when the boss is looking away, everybody's watching the Western movie. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. What's but, on today? I remember later on, right, what's, what are we but, watching today? Casablanca today. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, the bureaucracy. and it, it just shows society. I mean, it represents all these terrible things about well that's what we see as soon as it starts is paper 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 everybody's just pushing paper everywhere yeah. like 24 dash b <laughs> and tubes, well, tubes. what's tubes the and paper uh, what's the form 27 b i think it was 26 slash b or something it's a, re- yeah. it's a reference to 1984 right it? and it's it was in uh, the last jedi they, oh, used, they, used in, they used that in the last Jedi. The worst Star today. Wars movie used it. <laughs> oh. But yeah, a lot of things from that film were used in other uh, films. Just the, his, the, his shooting style. I mean, the things that Terry did that were very specific to his. Well, his... The, the cage in his dream sequence that his angel was in, that's one of the cages from Time Bandits. From Time Bandits, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is kind of a, a, a trilogy. Yeah. You know? The youth... The middle age, and then Baron Munchausen, Munchausen. Is, the, is, you know, the swan song. Yeah. yeah. But they're all, all three of those are just so wonderfully surreal and unusual, but warm and fuzzy, too, at the same time. I mean, uh, well, Time Bandits. I want to do that one. we got to find somebody to do Time oh, Bandits. I don't, I don't doubt that that'll happen. <laughs> so let's get into Terry Gilliam here. So uh-huh. he's an American. Yeah. And he's from Minnesota, and he's uh, the 60s hit. He's pretty liberal guy. And it's funny that he says, I had to leave America or I was going to get arrested, which makes me laugh. But mm-hmm. So he heads over to England, or he's in Europe, and then they end up in England, and he ends up as a part of Monty Python. He was the wildest the wildest American, and he was the right person to be a Pythoner. That yeah. and his, his uh, cut and paste. Yeah. 
all of this pastiche or whatever you want to call it, a uh, collage Animator. type animation stuff. Yeah. That's what that influences me. And you could see it in like half of the videos that I put out for the smoke and mirrors thing. And that's one of two reasons why I want to always have animated videos. One of those reasons is I'm an old fat white guy and I don't want to look at myself. <laughs> but number, number two is that I always enjoyed these Terry Gilliam animations. And when it's humorous, but it's also spooky, it's dark. It can be scary pornographic at times whatever but all of that you can f this film is like a uh, a living realization of some of his <laughs> some of his collage work in that sense sure sure like i mean the use of tubes tubes ridiculous like so tubes funny. and and, uh, and i love what the scene the commercial where you're uh, get new conduit or whatever yes what they refer yes to <laughs> so aside from brazil what would you say is your favorite terry gillum directed films Oh, you put me on the spot. <laughs> I know, it's tough. Because uh, he's got a few really good ones besides this one. I, I really like 12 Monkeys a lot. Yeah. That was heavy. You know, it was within the same vein. Sure. I, it always goes back to Brazil for me, but Time Bandits. Uh, yeah. I saw Time Bandits, Munchausen, and Brazil all in the theaters. Uh, I saw 12 Monkeys in the theater. Basically, any time a, a Gilliam film would come out, I had to see it in the theater. See Fear and Loathing in the theater? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, Fear. What you think of that one? Fear and Loathing was fantastic. Yeah. It was like if they could remake Where the Buffalo Roam. Yeah. If, if Gilliam could do like a six-film series, <laughs> I'd, I'd pay for them all, yeah, no matter I, what it is. Really. I grew up a Hunter fan, and I liked Gilliam. Yes. And then when he got the assignment, I because it was considered unfilmable. Yeah, you sure. couldn't film Fear and Loathing. And when Gilliam got it, I was one of the first people in my little circle of friends that was like, oh, no, this guy might pull it off. Yeah. And then he totally pulled it yep. off. I mean, yep. it was fantastic. You didn't even have to be high to see it, but it no. helped. <laughs> no, I had friends I got that high saw... just for watching it. <laughs> I was going to say, I had sober friends that would see it and told me, is this what getting high is like? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, and try I, it. Also, Holy Grail. I mean, you know, he shared the director's yes. on that one. Yeah. But, you know, Holy Grail, it's... Phenomenal. Yeah. He's all the animation, the llamas dancing, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, Holy Grail, Life O'Brien. Oh all right, my God. I mean, <laughs> that humor, just all of everything about it. And the Fisher King. Yeah. Fisher King oh, was yeah. heavy. That was good too. That was like, okay, Robin Williams, you made me cry again, you bastard. Love you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, we miss Robin. Yep. So much. Nanu, Nanu. I got to, to meet him once doing a challenge athletes foundation triathlon at La Jolla Cove, the I Tour think de I Cove. I was there too. Yeah, yeah, and, and Robin Williams actually did the whole triathlon too. Yeah, came riding in on a bike. Yeah, crazy. Nice. In his tight little shorts. Sweet, sweet guy. <laughs> Super hairy. Super hairy. <laughs> oh, we can see that on screen. <laughs> <laughs> Furry. Was but he was—he was just sweet, and he was always, you know, always donating his time and yeah. trying to help people. Damn it, man. Anyway, you yes. seem to do that a lot. Uh, <laughs> Donate I, money, time. Mm -hmm. That's, effort to, to help to musicians. people realize art. It's all self-serving. It's all, it's all for my childhood dream. I think that I'm consistently living probably around 1983 to 88. <laughs> you know, because there was so much going on that was pretty amazing to me. Sure. I think we were all formed by what we, what our adolescence discovers during that time. So I think I was pretty lucky to be in that spot during that time, too. Yeah. Uh, like... That whole ska two-tone era for me and yep. what it means to to the group of friends I still have today. You know? Yeah. 
and what getting into the scooter club like having uh, that connection those are my brothers yep i was never in a fraternity so <laughs> i think one of the interesting things about this film is its legacy because when it was released it was 50 50 on whether people liked it or not siskel or ebert famously didn't yep. right and, but yeah. you had other critics at the time were saying this is the one of the best things I've seen. And and now we look back at it from all these years later, almost 50 years later now. And in Europe, this is a very popular film. Mm -hmm. I mean, whenever there's a list, any kind of list put out in Britain, it, 100 it best shows lists, up. it shows up yep. always. Yeah. So they get it a little bit more. Um, but even in the U.S., it still gets a lot. It has a huge cult following here. They lived through World War II and bombed out buildings and so much of that. Just, I don't know, all of that. But it is interesting because the the noir feel of the film, Kafka esque. Mm -hmm. Just they they said lo Loki, the new Loki, uh, took some cues where the uh, time variance authority has got like a, a feel and vibe, like a little bit out of Brazil and some of that. Yeah, I've got to um, check that out. I haven't yet. But. Well, you have these movies too that you see that you could see the DNA of Brazil sort of. You, you have the Matrix. It's in, in there. there. It's yeah. in there. You have the Matrix in there. Yeah. When I'm watching it last night, I'm thinking of the Matrix, and sure. I'm like. All these people are told to keep their heads down. You're being observed. You're not supposed to do anything out of the ordinary. I mean, it's just like, but then they also have, you know, like the, the main character. He has this little dream world he goes to where he's flying and he's looking for the woman of his dreams. And that's to get away from his redundant life that he lives. Sure. Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of cool. It's in, in that way, I'm watching this and I'm like, that's the Matrix, man. And then visually, you have, you know, yeah. you have stuff like Dark City and City of Lost Children that yep. came along in the 90s. That are just clearly, uh, you know, uh, the next evolution. That could of be a bit of Gilliam right there. City yeah. of Lost Children, especially. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it just looks like a Gilliam movie. You would think it was if you didn't know. But it's definitely not a neat and tidy film. You you're no. left, you know, like your father leaving the theater, like, mm -hmm. what the fuck did I just watch? Because you leave confused. You don't understand if he's gotten a lobotomy. If he's what what's happened? What's well, gone it is on, a downer of... ending. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what bummed a lot of people out is that. You, he gets in that dental chair near the end in the big dome, and and uh, he's about to be operated on by Michael Palin, who's was a friend of his, yeah. but, quote, quote unquote. Yeah, <laughs> but he's, um, you know, as he's going in on him, all of a sudden we get these people descending from the ceiling and he's they, shot in the head, and Palin gets shot in the head, and then uh, you know he ends up getting rescued and he takes off with the woman that, of his dreams, and, and then they have you know whatever they're in their little home or whatever yeah. he dreams of and then it cuts back to them in the dome and we find out he's already done with they whether he's dead or lobotomized completely yeah but he didn't yeah. they didn't do anything to him it's like he's well just we lost didn't his see mind. it but they did right right well what's one thing it was, i read it was just a poke say. in the nose well it's no, funny right, too yeah. that terry gilliam thinks that that's the positive ending <laughs> because he's in his, his little world. Right, his happy right. world. Yeah, yeah, instead of being a zombie in the real world and not having a love and all this other shit, mm -hmm. that this was the actually the happy ending. His yeah. best alternative. That was how he spun it. And yeah. I'm like, well, I guess. But I totally understand people who see it as a downer, too. Because, you, you know, you don't want to see your main character get lobotomized. And no. You want to see him get out of all that yeah. and, and get the well, woman happy in the They want to have kids. Move to Bellingham, Washington. <laughs> oh, that was a different movie. <laughs> But that, that didn't happen, you know. It happened in his head, but but that's what America wants. They want the nice, tidy, happy ending. Sure, you know, and, and that's, that's why, why we that's why we like European films. That's why we love something like the Ken Cinema, like a real art film is yep. not going to just leave you with the the happy ending. You know, to to put the happy ending on the sad ending, I just remember 
one of my other favorite films to watch in the movie theater, I'm sure you're both on it too, is The Professional. You know, oh, yeah. like, well, he's he's going to die. Yeah. You know, that's what happens. Sorry. It's it's a, but. But she gets away. Right. So I'm like, okay. Natalie Portman gets away. So yeah. I think that's kind of the little ray of light for us. Right. Right. He right. gave himself up to save her. So right. kind of like the priest and the exorcist gave himself up to save Reagan at the end. You true, know? true. And if you've seen enough samurai films, hopefully justice is somewhat done. But like, yeah, 400 people have to die in the meantime. <laughs> Yay! I explore positivity. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this one definitely leaves you thinking and, and confused. And, and, but it's visually pleasing. Uh, you know, the characters are interesting. It, but I think, yeah, it, it was a little confusing to some people overall. You know, it's not an easy get. It leaves some right. stuff for you to think about and put in your own thoughts and ideas as to what's going on. Well, if, if you're if you're upset by the film, you're already if you you should have already seen Life of Brian because <laughs> right because the end is the end is everybody on crosses singing always look on the bright yeah. side of life. You have to get this this Gilliam sense of the absurd. Yeah, well, English humor is much different yeah. than American humor overall, and that's why we've loved it. Yeah. From the young ones to Monty Python yep. to, hey, Mr. Bean. Yep. <laughs> Mr. Bean had a series of movies, you know? Let's not talk about that. Yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry. This was a long shoot. It took him like nine months to put this thing together. Like, that's... It yeah. looks like nine months worth of hard work. Yeah. Really? It, it's supposed to be like 20 weeks originally scheduled, and then it went to up to nine months. That's... Folks, there was no CGI at the time. No. <laughs> it was and all... didn't they have to do some some new shoots because of the theater? I mean, the studio in the States wanted the happier ending? Or... It was universal in the early 80s, so yeah. I'm sure they did. Yeah. Uh, well, and... they did say that they, just like with uh, Blade Runner, they were making their own version behind the scenes. Right, because they didn't trust the director. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, you know, and and... Terry had his issues with some of the people along the way. I mean, De Niro, as much as, you know, they ended in a good way, but De Niro was a little bit of a pain in the ass on the set because he's such a perfectionist. Don't you he's, know who I am? Yeah, he's a method actor. Sure, sure. So he's constantly asking questions. He wants to take, like, 30 takes on every scene when everybody else can get it in, like, three. Yeah. Like, and so in that way, he's a little bit of a pain in the ass. And he's making, like, 660000 for two weeks of work. He didn't work for scale? God. But but Price gets a third of that. Now, my argument to that, you know, they were like, how dare he get more when he's barely in the film? And I'm like, yeah, he's also a hundred times bigger star than Jonathan Price. He's, like, a, he's a draw. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why he did it. And I'm not surprised he should have. Yeah. Ian Holm had already been an alien at that point, right? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So he already yep. had Alien and an Oscar nomination for Chariots of Fire at yep. that point. Yep. So Ian Holm was on his moment right then. Like, it's great to see him here years before he's Bilbo. He's, he's, he's awesome that's the thing is you, you i didn't re, you know you didn't realize that in 1985 looking at the film then you look back and go holy crap there's like 15 stars in this yeah movie. there's jim broadbent wow. yeah yeah there's just yeah, people. Jim, jim broadbent is the plastic surgeon <laughs> absolutely <laughs> and if any of you don't know jim broadbent he's the amazing uh carnival barker guy in moulin rouge that runs <sighs> the whole thing and he's terrific in gangs of new york he's yep. he's a great actor and he's just there. Bob Hoskins too. Yep. Bob, <laughs> Bob. Bob Hoskins is yeah. in it when they as get, one of the when engineers. They get their suits yes. filled with the raw sewage. Oh, that's one of my, <laughs> my favorite tunnel. parts. Oh, oh, I cringe though. Oh, <laughs> it is. It's it horrible. It creeps up towards their face, 
And then it explodes. Do they die when it explodes? I was wondering about that too. <laughs> Again, or we just the suits. We, we don't know necessarily. Oh man, that apartment was ruined. <laughs> Dude. And then so the one problem with Gillen was the main lady Jill Layton, uh, the main character Kim Grace played him. Could have been Ellen Barkin. I read. he wanted Ellen Barkin. Yeah, that, that would have been really wild. Yeah. Oh. Um, they went to a lot of people before they ended up with Kim. Jamie Lee Curtis, I think. Jamie right. Lee Curtis, Roseanne Arquette, Rebecca DeMornay, Michelle Pfeiffer, even Madonna was a nominee. <laughs> but they ended up with this Kim <sighs> Grice lady, and uh, Gillen was not terribly happy with her performance. That's why she, his version, she's not in it as much. They put her in the Love Conquers All version a little bit more, I guess. Hmm. But he, if he could probably go back and do it, I think that's one thing he would fix. But, I Did mean, she ever at, do anything else? She was really. in Chud, you said. She was in Chud, and then this. She got <laughs> she out of the two game hits. hot. Two hits. Yeah, and then, then, then it just kind of went wherever it went. But all of those women are more famous than her. So uh, Tom Cruise was also mentioned in the Sam Lowry. Oh, role. God, no. no. You know, he had just come off legend at this moment and is getting ready to do Top Gun. So I'm kind of, like, happy with the way that went. Like, yeah. he would have sucked in that. Sam was, yeah. like, an everyman. Yeah. We don't need some... I think Jonathan Price were great yeah. as Sam Lowry. He, yeah. In my mind, he's always Sam Lowry. Yeah. Yeah, he was I mean, that. I mean, it's Even as the High film. Sparrow, he's Sam Lowry to me. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love him. Fucking, uh, he gets blown up by one of the greatest villains ever, Cersei Lannister. <laughs> What is that in? Game of Thrones. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen it. You know what? Oh, Jesus Christ. I've never miles. seen Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad. That's okay. Oh. No, I've you never should seen see... Sleepaway Camp. Hell, I've never me, seen Pyle. that you thing. Should you should see did. Breaking Bad. And that's Bad, what though. makes this fun for me. I, I get to see things I've never seen All right, before. we got to fix the Game of Thrones thing because yeah. it's one of the greatest TV series ever. Trust me, you would get into it. <laughs> and he's terrific on dragon porn in He it? plays a religious pot, like pious religious uh -huh. just dick bag like nice it takes over king's landing and, and and it's actually bad guy on bad guy kind of scenario and then seriously lannister just takes him out it's fucking great fucking you great. spoiled it for him god Damn that's okay it. <laughs> she kills a lot of you don't people. need you don't need to watch it now it's fine that's all right I'll watch so it. it ends with oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so this did get two academy award nominations despite all of the you know, hubbub. What, what did it get the nominations for? It got art direction. Of course. And of course, original screenplay. But it didn't win anything. It didn't win them. No. But at least it got two because, I mean, considering it was sitting on a shelf for so long, I mean, to be able to get anything at that point is a score. To create a film like that, that I don't know, what, what do you think is got the, the longest, uh, what, what is the most iconic Terry Gilliam film out of all of them? You know, what do you think is the one that people first refer to if, uh holy grail it, probably i would say yeah, yeah. people will always be, be holy, holy, grail. holy grail because it's a bit you know it's a, a bit more laugh out loud funny yep sure. and then i think with gen x guys like me i think it's fear and loathing in las vegas i think oh, a, true. a lot of us i worshiped hunter growing up reading his mm. books and i never thought i'd see that become a movie and when i was nervous and did and you when go it, see the musical i didn't i did it was, was, it good? was it? Yeah, it was enjoyable yeah, yeah. I would like to see it. Um, I love the movie. I that one's near and dear to my heart. Yeah, I need to rewatch that. Yeah, it's fantastic. So many movies, man. What other films came out in 1985 around this time? Anything that big that stands out for you? 85. Yeah. Was well, that? that was Back to the Future. Back the same as Back. Okay. Yeah, that would have been Back to the Future and uh, Breakfast Club. I mean, that was that was the year of those movies. Yeah. That's pretty wild that I saw both of those in the theater, too. And to think of, like, Breakfast Club audiences, like, clapping and laughing and just completely sold-out room. 
and then watching the watching Brazil with thirty people. <laughs> I mean, that's what's sad, right? These films that make you think that it's just not it's, those are not getting made today necessarily in the yeah. same way. Yeah. Um, but well, that's what we were looking for the the alternative, the interesting, the different, the unusual. We didn't want the boy meets girl happy ending story. Like mm-hmm. I remember, these were like these are interesting, right? The pandering to to America is what the filmmakers have done over the years to tell these stories. Well, that was the popcorn era of films. That's mm-hmm. when the bigger was better thing. That was right. Rambo and Schwarzenegger sure. bulking yeah. up. And and so you had all these movies like Repo Man and all these other great ones that right. just didn't get the theater shine they should have. Right. And we all, Brazil yeah. was another one. HBO. I saw Brazil on HBO sure. when I was like 15 years old. Like, I mean, that's, HBO was the outlet for that or Cinemax. Right, and you'd get the seedier ones over there in Skinamax. 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 But uh, it was great. I don't, I don't know. I, I only saw blurry lines. <laughs> we never paid for it. No, we didn't pay for it either. <laughs> when it would rain, it would come in really good. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> it was almost as if you were paying for it. I was lucky in that my sister, uh, seven years older than me, so she would take me to these the midnight movies at the Glass House, actually down the street from the Casbah. Yeah. And I got to see things like... Um, the remake of Metropolis that was colorized with soundtracks by people like John Anderson uh, of Yes, uh, Bonnie Tyler, all like Adam Ant, I think. Was, it was a weird 80s soundtrack, sure. but Giorgio Moroder did the, uh, the other parts of it. But seeing like that at midnight and the Terminator at midnight on a Saturday oh. and then Rocky Horror, like all that stuff yeah. wasn't things you would see in a normal theater at a normal time. Yeah. So this kind of, wow, they're actually showing this kind of movie on regular show times, and that's why there were 30 people in the audience. But Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I think 85 was when I went to my first midnight movie and snuck into a rated R movie, and it was Return of the Living Dead. Nice. Oh, yeah. And I had one of the greatest theater experiences of my life. Yeah. Like, that theater was just going to pieces. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, that, that 85, it was such a fun time. That soundtrack is Fucking oh, ridiculous. it's fire! It's so fire. good. You need oven mitts <laughs> to hold that soundtrack. I have a cassette. Oh, Man. it's so good. Brazil. You ever been to Brazil? I have not. I would love to. Me neither. You? Oh, I've never been there, but would love to go. Well, you can watch the movie. Couple, and we did. A couple people on my recordings uh, live in Brazil. Sao Paulo. Yeah. Nice. That is that is part of my dream. Mexico City, uh, Sao Paulo, Rio. I'd love to get to Europe too. Haven't done it. Come on, people, give me so, a mil- buy give, merch, give me a million buy dollars. Merch, buy, yeah. merch, buy my buy stuff. Merch, buy records. <laughs> yeah. I hear your records are big. The dub records are big in the UK. Yeah. Um, but vinyl is huge everywhere. Did you have any releases for uh, Record Store Day? Do you participate in that particularly, or you know, you just put your stuff? I just out. keep putting it out. I. I'm prolific, man. I've somewhat learned that uh, it, in a, in a sense, it doesn't really matter when you're doing stuff as small as I am. It really doesn't matter that much. You don't have a, a team of people putting out stuff at one time. Sure. You are the team. Yeah. A yeah. one-man ranking crew. Yeah. Me, people... me, me and my wife and, uh, you know, hopefully two or three other friends will please like my stuff. If people share. are throwing a quinceanera and they need sound, where do, how do they get a hold of you? Oh, I, I do have a company. Hey. <laughs> hey, kids. If you want a quinceanera sound system. Uh, I, actually, I have a shop in, uh, in Barrio Logan on uh, Main Street. And yeah, we, we rent out stuff from two speakers on a stick, a uh, projector kind of thing, to concerts for 5,000 people. Or we did uh, all the stages for Adams Avenue Nice this past year, too. That's a huge undertaking. So I, I say yes to it, whatever it is. This is one of the things I love about your contribution to our scene, 
is that not only do you play in these bands, but whenever I'm at music venues, it's to be expected, but I'm at like just regular bars and I'll see like your initials on the side of the speakers hanging up in the bar. Oh, they stole them from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, as far as the local guys go and people we love and respect yeah. in San Diego, you're there. I mean, we yeah, obviously... I mean, but that's a really important part to play in the scene. Yeah. You, the audio is killer yeah. in bars or venues. Yeah. And well, like you told us you're going to be you've upgraded uh, the Corazon del Mar. Yeah, Cor Corazon del Barrio. Um, it's like three blocks away from my shop. I had to. Yeah. I want to have a place to play and someplace I'd be proud of. The other thing I really dig about having a place like that is that it can be all ages plus alcohol. I mean, yeah. what what were the things growing up that we were able to go to when we weren't yet 21? It was uh, coffee shops. Coffee shops or Tijuana, right? A little bit. I mean, there were some independent, like, mod ska events. It'd be like at a, a Arthur Murray dance hall or right, something right. like that. But yeah, much different than what Tim Mays was doing with the punk shows at yep. the at the Jackie Robinson or yeah. Wabash Hall. Yeah, uh, our scene was at, at different places. You know? Yeah, but we had headquarters. Yep. That went, I mean, there was what the um, there was another place before our age group, but. Maybe on one of the flyers. I forget <laughs> the name of it now. Anyway, rich history. And you elevate the town. You help the bands. You're also producing and releasing great music. And, and I love that you make it an art form with the, the vinyl releases and the colored vinyl. And I'm hopeful that more people support you locally. I hope you get to Europe. Seems like you got a big fan base there. I hope so, too. If anyone's listening anywhere... In the I'm, world. I'm a yes. I'm free. I'll go for free. All, I mean, you, literally, all you have to do is pay for the flight, the hotel, and food. But other than that, yeah. I'm free. Yeah. And the alcohol? I don't I don't drink. What about your bandmates? Hey, if they can go too, yes, please. How many people perform on stage with smoke and mirrors? Um coming up on on the first, uh there'll be eleven of us. And then coming up on the thirteenth at Music Box, there'll be eleven plus three. We're going to have uh, Jesse Wagner, who's also playing with um, Western Standard Time, sit in on his song. Um, and that's Jesse's from the Agrolites. And uh, Colin Giles, who is in the Big Sound, uh -huh. is going to sing his song. He's doing a cover of Everything I Own that we do. I love the, it. The yeah. bread tune. And um, it's a great one. And we're having uh, Isaac from uh, Almalafa is going to sing uh, at least two of the songs in Espanol as well. Should be pretty fun. Yeah, we'll have like 14 people on stage. That's I'm crazy. trying to compete against Western Standard Time's 19 people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We good? What Should else do we plug? Right. What else you got to plug? Um, oh, so yeah, I'm, I'm doing Escape Hatch Records with Michael Buckmiller. He's my partner in the, in the record company. Um, you might know him from Satanic Puppeteer Orchestra, and if you don't, you should check it out. It's really fun having a a robot on stage um, being snarky with people. Certainly. <laughs> well, you, thanks. Down, you down for a little necrophilia? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the one line in the movie that, where we're all like, good, what the fuck? That was the good Gilliam line right there. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to Soundcheck Flicks. Thank you, John Roy, so much for, for everything you me. do and for being here and, and gifting me vinyl. I love that as well. Yeah. Um, we're always happy to support the, the music community, and you do a great job of that. Um, we'll, we'll, have we had 11 people on stage here with Smoke and Mirrors yet? I think we had 10. 10? Yeah, 10. Just barely. Just barely. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin was almost about, I'll just set up the organ on the ground. We were close. We were very close. Yeah. Graham, anything you want to share? Anything go you're watch excited Terry about? Gil go watch Terry Gilliam movies. Do it. I mean, not just Brazil. There's, 
He's just wildly imaginative. He's one of the most creative people we've had. If America was, should definitely be proud of if him. If there was still a Ken <laughs> Cinema, I would say they should have a, a Gilliam Festival. Oh, exactly. That'd be great. That's exactly the kind of place. Or if it you be do at. it at your house, invite all three of us, and, <laughs> and we'll eat your food and drink your beer. We should mention again the 35th anniversary of the Casbah next month. The shows with L1011, Starcrawler, Neil Hamburger, Boy Birthday Bash, Uncle Joe's Big Old Driver, The Dragons, Kid Congo and the Pink Monkey Birds, Beat Farmers, uh, Sleepwalkers, Buck Meek, Dessa, Emo Night, The Bronx, Three Mile Pilot, Pig hmm. Mac, Juju, No Knife, Lucy's for Coat, Earthless, Sweet and Tender Hooligans, Plague Vendor. Uh, it's going to be a great 35th Lucy's anniversary. Lucy's in there? Lucy's for Goat. They're in there? On the This is not printed yet, so ah, wow. I have this wow. in advance of that happening. But yeah, lots of great shows coming up at the end of December as well as all in January. This place will be packed. 35 years. Thank you, Tim Mays, for everything you do. Casbahmusic.com is where you want to go for tickets. And this show has been presented by Panama 66. Congratulations on their nine-year nine anniversary. And Soda Bar's 15th. Exactly. Good job. 15 we, we years. We plugged them a couple wow. weeks ago. We're we doing it again. We want to spread the love. We're doing it again. What should we promote? <laughs> I love the Friendly. Friendly, you want to sponsor us? We need burgers on the table is what I'm talking about. Does the Friendly have veggie burgers? I don't think, no. I'm they have a veggie I'm, pizza, I think. I'm pressuring them. Come on, Friendly. <laughs> Maybe the one on University <laughs> Avenue. We are Soundcheck Flicks. It's time to go. Happy holidays. Me, Seymour. Hey, SCF fans, it's producer Eric. Wondering if you're ready to take a trip with us to the Little Shop of Horrors. Next week on Soundcheck Flicks, tune in to see who our special guest is. 